0: Welcome to the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Basketball Show. That's right, we're a basketball show now. The football season has been put to bed. And on Friday, the Missouri State High School Activities Association released the new classifications and districts for its member schools. We're going to talk to A.J. Blankenship of 314 Hoops about what it looks like this year and some of the unique surprises and interesting pairings that came up with the new look. At the end of the show, we're going to wrap it up by talking to Greg Upton, who watched the Francis Howell Central Spartans take on the Francis Howell North Knights. It wasn't the first game he was supposed to cover tonight. It wasn't even the second game he was scheduled to cover tonight. But covering games in COVID times presents plenty of challenges, as it does to everybody else. Greg managed to get through it and was kind enough to join the show to talk about the ballgame he saw. So stick around for that. But up first, here's A.J. Blankenship talking basketball here in St. Louis. I'm now joined by A.J. Blankenship, who you might know as the handle at 314hoops on Twitter been watching hoops in the area
1: for, what do you say, AJ, But last five, six years? How long have you guys been doing this? Yeah, I think this year would have been year six for us. Um, I guess, a, yeah, six sounds right. Might just be five, though. I lose track.
0: <laughs> well, uh, today the Missouri State High School Activity Association released the new districts, and uh, I, I needed to chop it up with somebody who's been in the gym on the Missouri side, you're a Missouri guy for the most part. You don't get over to Illinois a whole lot, at least not in in your early stages of three one four hoops. But I wanted to chop it up with somebody who could who could talk about these districts, and and you're the guy I thought of. But before we get there, I just like to you know kind of let the people know who you are, where you've been, what you're about, and and why you love basketball so bloody much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I was just kind of raised around the game. Uh, my my brother played for the Eagles back in the day. My dad was a coach with the Eagles and just grew up loving the game. I was never necessarily blessed with the the talent to play it, but I, I've always loved this game, and uh, I kind of wanted to get to as many games as I could, and I figured I could uh, help the fans out there that want to see these scores going up. You know, uh, you, you guys do a great job over at the Post, but I figured I could... Uh, add my two cents into the mix and that was about five six years ago now so we can get to as many games as we can and uh try to try to promote these kids out here San Luis area's got a lot of talent and you're a Marquette
0: guy we were talking earlier and you made the point of saying my Mustangs because once the Mustangs get into you you can't get
1: them out of your blood what was it? did you play for the Mustangs? Uh, I played my freshman year, but like I said, I wasn't exactly blessed with a lot of talent. So that's as far as my playing career went. But uh, yeah, I, I was I was a Marquette kid, um, and you know they've had their ups and downs throughout the years. But I'm a proud Mustang. So I mean, we were just talking
0: off air about how much we miss being in the gym and and just the excitement. I mean, even though basketball is being played, and we're both happy the kids are getting a chance to play, but but what makes it so unique, at least to me, and I'm sure you feel this way too, is, is when the building is full of people and it's like, I don't know, I just like that. About five minutes before warm up start, and then it gets going, and you can just kind of feel the energy in the room. That that like there, there's nothing like that. Not not football games, not soccer matches. And you know, I love track meets. We've talked about that in the in the bleachers a time or two, but but there's just something about basketball when when the arena is ready to rock and and it gets going. It's there's nothing like it.
1: Absolutely I mean when you walk through those double doors for a, a big game you know a CBC Chaminade or a, a big shootout or any rivalry game around here I mean i I go to St Charles St. Charles West is usually one of the first games I go to every year and you know as soon as you walk through those doors the environment uh, for basketball is just unlike anything else. So do you have do you have a, a a top three or four games you've been to you can
0: rattle off the top of your head or, or do you want to come back to that?
1: Wow. That's a great question. Um, any game that's ever taken place at the Highland shootout. Um, uh, <laughs> and, but honestly, the first game that comes to mind, when I think of best games I've seen, uh, would be the state championship game in class four. I want to say three years ago now between, uh, St. Charles and, uh, Hillcrest. Oh yeah. Uh, the Casey Tison and Chase Moorfield, uh, St. Charles Pirates overcoming. I think it was a twenty-one point second half deficit, and uh, that that game was as good as it gets right there. That was pretty
0: nutty, especially when the Hillcrest star player is slashing his throat, saying it's over with a lot of time on the clock. That was that's an all timer
1: right there. I specifically remember Casey Tison's uh, post game press conference uh, when asked about that kid saying. It's over, and uh, Casey said, "I think he was talking about his season." <laughs> Not
0: only could he shoot daggers, he could say them too. Absolutely, no, that's a good, that was a good one. That was a really, really good, really good ball game. The one that the one that kind of sticks out to me is uh, just off the top of my head is, is Webster and Kickapoo in the semifinals of Class
1: Five. What was that? 2017, I guess. That was a heavyweight boxing match of that a basketball madness. game. Uh, I mean that was two teams as good as you'll find at the high school level just trading blows down the stretch.
0: I mean it's remarkable to me that in in the conversation about all the, the great kids we've had in the area, I mean, an all-time an all-timer is Courtney Ramey and and he doesn't come off the top of people's heads a lot unfortunately. It's really it's really kind of stunning. I don't know what it is about that dude that that he that he kind of slips people's minds a little bit. But he's down in Texas now, showing everybody what he's about. And he was unstoppable that night, especially in the final. What thirty-five seconds? I mean, that guy was a beast. And then they they, they slipped past a really a Jared Ritter who who played at Xavier and then transferred back to Missouri State was was I think the Gatorade Player of the Year.
1: I think he State was that yeah. year.
0: Now they knocked him out in the semifinals, and then the Statesmen rolled to the championship uh, the next night.
1: And, that, and You, and you set me up for reaction. that with that Courtney Ramey reference, because you know that's my guy. I, I do. I say time and time again, I mean, Courtney Ramey is uh, the best winner I have ever watched.
0: I don't know if there's anybody close. I mean, going back-to-back is hard to do at the highest level here. I haven't had a lot of teams do that. I mean, even McClure North had a different group, Jordan Granger, when they went back-to-back in 11 and 12. But yeah, that Ramey-Cartier group, they were uh, they were pretty special. Uh, Ramey in particular, as he's shown everybody at Texas. Absolutely. So, uh, all right, well, let's just kind of get into to the to the classifications. So this year, Missouri introduced Class 6, up from 5, so a whole new class. The district assignments were, were parceled out. This is the first year we have a championship factor for private and non boundaryed schools, so charter schools, private schools. So they are assigned points on district championships, State semifinals and state championships. So each year, however, wherever your season ends as a private or non-boundary school, you uh, you receive points if you win your district. You get points, and then if you lose after that, that's all you get. If you win, if you get to the semifinal, you only get points for a semifinal. If you win state, you only get points for winning state. And over the course of five five or six seasons, those those are tallied up, and then the the, the state association starts moving teams up and down so uh, class six we I mean a lot of area teams are lumped in obviously because we have some of the larger schools in the state in this area so class six district one is Jackson Northwest House Springs or Cedar Hill depending on what year you're looking at Poplar Bluff and Seckman class six district two Fox Lindbergh Melville Oakville that's an interesting group Lindbergh's kind of run into Vianney the last couple of years when, when Viani had some good guys Melville Um, graduated all their studs from from last year's uh, quarterfinal team. Oakville had a state semifinal run in them a couple years ago. They've been kind of waiting around uh, to make another run here. Class 6, District 3, Eureka Lafayette, your Marquette Mustangs, Parkway South, Parkway West. Just a quick thought or two on uh, what you see in Class 6, District 3 with a a group of teams you're pretty familiar with.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tight-knit. A uh, tight knit group there over in West County. Those teams know each other like the back of their hand. You can't run a set against anybody in that district without them knowing what's about to happen. Uh, Marquette came out of a really similar district last year and they returned most of that roster. So you would think they'd have a good chance, but anybody, honestly, up and down that district could come out of it. I mean,
0: Eureka's been kind of on the verge. Lafayette's always a pain. I mean, uh, Coach Landaware runs a pretty good uh, stuff over there, and they can always make you miserable. Uh, Parkway South is, I heard, dealing with some injury issues to start the year, so we'll see what they look like. And Parkway West uh, lost a, a pretty good Pattonville team the other night, but started off 3-0 for the first time in, in four years. And Coach John Wright's pretty excited about his group. Class 6, District 4 is the one a lot of folks are going to be talking about. This is where you find CBC, Chaminade, Webster Groves, Kirkwood, and Ledoux also also known as the District
1: of Death. This is something else. These are the type of districts that we like to avoid if possible, but I understand the system just doesn't allow for that. I mean, you have to feel for the programs in this district. Obviously, you got to play good competition sooner or later down the stretch in the playoffs, but to have to go through potentially three of the better teams around just to win your district is a daunting
0: task. Uh, Drew Halen had an interesting tweet about this. Between Shamanad, CBC and Webster Groves, uh, there are six state championships since 2008. Webster won 3, Shamanad uh, got 2 and then CBC got 1. So, I mean that is just a heavyweight group. CBC obviously a semifinalist last year who didn't get to finish after a state was canceled. Shamanad same deal. Webster Groves lost to Shamanad in its district final last year. Brought a lot of guys back. Um, Kirkwood has hasn't won a district since 2009, but that's a tough draw for new coach Jimmy McKinney and Ledoux, a Class 4 last year, Class 4 uh, sectional participant uh, who ran into the, the who would have been the eventual Class 4 state champion Bashan in the sectional. I mean, that's a, that's a tough draw for the Rams there too. Just a loaded district, and I just I just can't get over the fact everybody's there, especially when you you look over at the class 6 district 5 which is Hazelwood Central, Hazelwood West, Pattonville, Rittner, excuse me, and uh, St. Louis U High. I'd like to see the rubber band they use to to connect Hazelwood West to to Slew High or Pattonville to Slew High. That must that thing must really really stretch over there.
1: Yeah, there was some elastic in that band. I mean, this <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, you they claim that there's these uh, great geographic reasonings behind districts and what have you, but sometimes you just have to shake your head when you see a district like Class 6, District 4, and then you look down at some of these other ones, and you want you, you just know that those, those teams could have been spread out a little more. Makes you wonder.
0: So I, I'm curious to see what Hazelwood Central can do, Hazelwood West as well, because those teams aren't going to play until uh, January at the earliest Central, uh, recently, lost Cole Farrell, who actually transferred to uh, Hamilton Heights, out of state. They also lost. Um, oh, I just lost the young man's name, Jaden. Jaden Nicholson. Nicholson, Nicholson to uh, and so as Michael. well as Ahmad Scarborough. And Ahmad Scarborough, that's right. So a lot of a lot of tough losses there for Coach Brandon Gilmore's Hawks. Pattonville, as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, beat a pretty good Parkway West team the other night. Uh, Kellen Thames has been stuffing the stat sheet for them. And at St. Louis U-High, Coach Erwin Claggett's really excited about what he's got back. Matt Kramer earned some really big praise out of uh, Coach Clagg in the preseason for the work he put in. And uh, he's got a little uh, junior point guard who he's also pretty excited about over at U-High.
1: Yeah, that's a young group over at U-High that's been together since they were freshmen. I mean, I remember watching them go through some growing pains as freshmen in the MCC, but it's a much more mature group now. Kramer can really score it. And they got some kids that can guard out on the perimeter, too. So the U High did lose Freddie Cooper, who was a senior
0: this year. His family moved to Chicago. He was a nice piece for them, who uh, Coach Clagg was hoping they could find someone to, to fill in that role a little bit. Class 6, District 6, Francis Howell, Francis Howell Central, Francis Howell North, Fort Zumwalt North, and Fort Zumwalt West. Looking at this right now, Howell was a quarterfinalist last year, a semifinalist the year before. They bring back Big Sam Thompson, who's six foot ten and has had a really strong start to the season, as they won the Troy tournament. Fort Zumwalt North has uh, Kelvin Lee Jr., KJ Lee, as he is known. He's been uh, a, he came on really strong last year, as they won their first district championship in a minute. Um, any thoughts on the the Francis Howell dominated district of District Six?
1: Yeah, th- I think that'll be a good district championship game between Francis Howell and Zumwalt North. Obviously, Howell's still a really strong program, but maybe not quite at the level that they've been at the past few years. If I could, i got to shout out my boy Sam Maddox at Francis Howell. There's not not five kids in the area that work harder on the basketball court than him. And uh, he was kind of an overlooked piece of their powerhouse squads of the past few years, but kind of stepping into more of a leadership role this year. And I've always been incredibly impressed with the effort that that kid puts forward. Agreed. Class six, district
0: seven, Holt, Liberty, Timberland, and Troy. Uh, Liberty's been pretty good We're here recently. I know Troy's uh, historically been really, really strong. Class six, district eight, we have Battle Hickman, Rockbridge, and Washington, who's an area team who traditionally has has had been you know been okay. I don't know that they've won a district uh, recently, but been pretty good. Uh, Class, this is, I just found this interesting, this isn't an area team, but Class 6, District 9, has Capital City, the new high school in Jefferson City, Jefferson City High, Smith, Cotton, and Helias of all teams, with 550 students. I was
1: surprised Helias made the leap into Class 6. It's an interesting dynamic when you look at them being such a small school, but you mentioned that multiplier that's being applied to private schools now, moving them up as they've had success over the past few years in basketball. And if I could point out, Rockbridge moving up into District 8 provides an interesting look for some area teams because prior to this, Rockbridge was always down in District 9, and no one from St. Louis would encounter them until the final four, whereas now in District 8, Rockbridge will be going through local teams prior to the final four. That's right. They usually would
0: have to go through the Kickapoos of the world or whoever was coming out of Springfield, and that was generally their path through that other half of the bracket. So, you know who we didn't talk about in Class 6? DeSmet. The reason being they moved into Class 5 uh, with the championship factor the state has used or is using this season. Uh, DeSmet hasn't won a district championship since 2013 when they upset uh, the then-favored uh, CBC cadets who went on to win state the next year and Coach Justin Tatum's first year. But that long dry spell has, has really... Um, and it has put the Spartans in, in, as the second largest school in Class 5. Their raw enrollment is about 10-10, uh, 1,010 kids. They're the second largest Class 5 school behind only Fort Zumwalt North, or excuse me, Fort Zumwalt South, who's, uh, I think, at ten twenty. So DeSmet lines up in Class 5, District 7, with familiar foes, Parkway Central, Parkway North, and then Newbies, St. Charles, and St. Charles West. What What... what when you saw that this morning, how did what did you what was your reaction to uh, seeing the Spartans in Class 5?
1: It's obviously an, an initial surprise when you think about the fact that coming into the school year before we knew about the injuries to Yaya Keita and Thomas Redmond uh, not participating in basketball this season, DeSmet was considered potentially the favorite to win state in the highest class in basketball this year. I mean, they, they returned almost everything from a powerhouse squad last year. And so when you see them move down to class five or stay in class five, I suppose uh, it, it's pretty jarring at first, but like you mentioned, when you think back uh, to recent history, they just haven't accomplished enough uh, tangibly to, to really warrant that multiplier helping them out much. So it's kind of interesting to see where the Spartans are now. And I, I think we'll see that over the course of time with this new multiplier being in play, that it's going to help some teams and hurt some teams you know, based on the fact of talent not necessarily matching uh, tangible results, and it didn't help the Spartans
0: that they had, they lost to CBC the last couple of years in their just because they would make the they would be you know competitive in the MCC. They were among the better teams in the area, but they see CB in the district final, and in the last two they got beat. I mean, the way the point system works, if Dismet wins one district between last year and 2013, they're in Class Six, but they haven't because they've run into really good teams. So. Spartans are now in Class Five. Uh, the other surprise in Class Five was in Class Five District Five. Um, we have Clayton, Gateway STEM, Saint Mary's, U City, and reigning Class Three champ Cardinal Ritter. Which I, uh, as surprised as I was to see Desmet not move into Six, I, I was doubly surprised to see that Cardinal Ritter and its recent success vaulted the the Lions all the way into Class
1: Five. And again, it's you look at that multiplier and. That state championship, uh, you would know better than I do how the exact calculations work, but you have to think. Obviously, that's what vaulted them up there, despite you know jumping two full classes. And that's going to be a competitive district there with U City being as good as they've been in a long time. U City's really good. St. Mary's
0: off the strength of, of two district championships and uh, recently, and then a state's final, state championship game appearance in twenty eighteen. Um, that's what moved the dragons up as well, but yeah, it's it's crazy for Cardinal Ritter. I think they're at two hundred and fifty three as their uh, raw enrollment, and then you have a dismet team which is five hundred some because uh, because if you only are boys only or girls only, they double your enrollment, and so five hundred and some odd boys one thousand some odd enrollment against a two hundred fifty three enrollment. That's a that's a big gap. Also in Class Five, District Two, we have DeSoto, Farmington, Festus, Hillsboro, North County. That should be interesting. Uh, DeSoto's just beat Hillsboro in the in their uh, the Gene Steighorst tournament. Hillsboro's usually pretty good, but um, their coach Dan Johnson said they're a little a little younger than normal, and they don't have the big guy they have usually been leaning on. Class Five, District Three, you have Afton, Lutheran South, Summit, Viani, and Windsor. Here's a, a Viani group who routinely has been kind of knocking on the door. In, in class five but has always been paired with somebody be it a melville be it you know sometimes it's st louis u high sometimes it's you know chaminade or, or even cb some years or webster groves a couple of times they had to go see each other in a district final when webster was really good so Viani is is you know expecting to be competitive in the mcc this year uh, coach walsh brings back i want to say all five starters and if not all five, almost, and a lot of guys who've been through the battles. What do you see out of the Golden Griffins, uh, should all things go as we expect this winter?
1: There's not a program around that year in and year out runs their stuff the way the Vionni Griffins do. I mean, Coach Walsh does an incredible job. They're as fundamentally sound a group every single year as anybody, and that's going to give them a really good chance to win a lot of games at the high school level. I think it's perfect for them to be in Class 5, like you said, it gets them away from some of those tougher teams that they've been running into. They never get an easy path, and not to disrespect anybody in their district, but it, it, it's a much easier stepping stone for Viani to get some district championships under their belt down to Class 5 here. So Class
0: 5, District 4, um, we have Sullivan Union, and then Pacific and Borgia, Borgia Perennial Powerhouse, who has routinely um, made Pacific miserable in district finals. I know that's been a, a hurdle that uh, the Indians have tried to, to get over but have been unable to recently. Class 5, District 6 is North County jam-packed with Hazelwood East, Jennings, McClure, McClure North, and Riverview Gardens. I know um, a lot of these teams aren't playing currently and are expected to resume or begin practice, should I say, in January. I think Riverview is actually going on, is on pause until at least February. So I don't know what to make of, of this district, if it even comes to fruition. Uh, McClure was really strong last year, lost a bunch of guys. Uh, Jennings is feeling pretty salty as they got a couple of guys back who were nice pieces for them. Thoughts on, on this North County special?
1: Yeah, like you said, tough to say as they're not underway yet up in North County, but I do like uh, McClure North and Jennings coming into the season. Uh, that, both have talent returning from last year. Like you said, the, the comments at McClure lost quite a bit. I think that's gonna be a really interesting district to watch down the stretch. Especially gonna be interesting to see how it maybe affects them getting a later start um, to their season than a lot of the teams around. It's gonna be weird with the start and stopping
0: that COVID has. I mean, the offseason was non existent. I was talking to a coach this week who's been watching a lot of games online. He just he's looking around, he's like, I just think Kids don't have their their wind with them yet. Like they just haven't been doing the the offseason stuff to to be able to run the way they've been. And then you throw in the fact that St. Louis County has their kids wearing masks, and then you know it's it, there's a lot of challenges this year. And as far as I can tell, everybody's just pretty happy to be playing at this point. I mean, whether they it's have the masks or not,
1: it's definitely jarring when you turn a game online and you see these kids dribbling the ball up and down the court in masks. And I mean, it just. Feels almost like a different game, but at the same time, like you said, you're just so happy to have it back that I don't think anybody's going to complain too much as long as they're getting to put the ball in the hoop.
0: So, class five, district eight. Last one we we're talking about Fort Zumwalt East, Fort Zumwalt South, St. Dominic, and Warrington. Uh, Zumwalt South has routinely been one of the, the better basketball programs in St. Charles County. And uh, St. Dominic had a, a district championship season last year, brought, uh, I think, their top seven or eight guys back. And have been off to a nice start this year. Did did lose to Francis Howell at earlier this year, but uh, but what, what what do you think about St. Dominic and a Fort Zumwalt South District final? Because that seems to be what we're looking at.
1: Yeah, Zumwalt South, um, maybe not quite the powerhouse that they've been recently. After losing JJ Schwepker last year, really talented sharpshooter. That St. Dominic team, uh, probably one of the lesser known teams around. That's Really, really good. Uh, pardon me if I don't get the name right, but I believe it's Ryan Schwendeman is one of the top scorers in the area right now for Saint Dominic. Uh, they're a, they're a fundamentally sound team, and they gave Howell everything they could handle in the in the championship game of that Troy tournament. Yeah, I, I, Saint Dom is pretty excited about what they got back,
0: and then it'd be interesting to see what they can do with Zumi South. But then because of the way the bracket shakes out, 1 through 8 is one half, and then you know, 9 through 16 is the other half. So we have a potential if the brackets go the way we think they will. I mean, it, it, we could see Cardinal Ritter into Dismet in a quarterfinal matchup. How bananas would that be?
1: I mean, that, they just played the other night, too, and I believe it was a double overtime affair. I mean, that's a, as good a matchup as you're going to get in the area this year. I uh, I hope we get it. I look forward to it if if it does get to that point. And th- those are two ultra talented squads to meet head to head right there. That would be a lot of fun.
0: So, but yeah, you're looking at it. I mean, Class Five, District Two, Three, and Four. I mean, Viani, Borgia. I mean, those those are teams: Hillsborough, Festus, Farmington, DeSoto, Union, Windsor. Those are all teams: Afton Lutheran, South, and Summit, who are going to be be trying to make a run to a quarterfinal. And then and once you get there, you're one one away from the Final Four, which which everybody dreams about doing. So, all right, moving on to Class 4. Uh, class 4, District 3, we have Bayless, Confluence, Prep Academy, Hancock, Kip, and Roosevelt. Uh, CPA is traditionally had pretty good teams. Coach Brian Carvinen. did I say that right? Carvanen? I believe so. BK, as we call them. He uh he's usually got a pretty good group but he ran into a St. Mary's team that was really dominant and last year they lost to Hazelwood East in a district that had Bashan in it. So he he's got some guys back he really likes the the guard group he has in particular especially with Caleb Burton transferring over from O'Fallon. What uh what what does it look like See the idea that that CPA could be knocking on a
1: district championship? If Burton was an absolutely awesome addition for that squad that lost quite a few seniors when you look at Lindell Hunt and uh, some of the other guys that moved on for them last year. Um, I can guarantee you that BK will be happy to get uh, Vashon and St. Mary's far away from his district, although I think uh, he'll see the V looming large in the sectional round as they're in District 4. Well, that's what I was going to say. He might not see them for the district, but he won't have to wait long because Class 4
0: District 4 is Maplewood-Richmond Heights, Metro-Metro, Miller Career, Soldan, and then the V. Uh, Vashon was well on its way to winning yet another state championship last year um, in Class Four before the coronavirus shut down uh, the state tournament. So uh, Soldan, who who's got some guys back, I, I know they're you know they're trying. Uh, career Academy is trying, but I just don't know how they hang with with Vashon, with Nick
1: Kern, and and uh, some of the other dudes that are that are down there at the V. And the V's an interesting team this year, maybe not quite as deep with uh, high-end talent as they've been in years past, but we know as well as anybody, Tony Irons is going to get those kids playing harder than anybody. And uh, with Kern and uh, the UNLV kid, uh, Gilbert, uh, yeah, yep. uh, it, those. I mean, that's as good a duo as there's going to be in Class 4. So they got Trayvon Love at the point guard. He was at Jennings for
0: a while and transferred to Bashan. Played spot minutes last year for him. So he's going to be good. Rico Bailey was a starter last year, kind of that fifth guy, which he was a he was a defensive guy who, when he was open, could take a jumper. Didn't, wasn't asked to score. I mean, when you think about it, what's, what's really crazy is Bashan, their three seniors all graduated to go play D1 ball, especially after Phil Russell, who decommitted from SEMO late and uh, was picked up by St. Louis U so between him Kobe at Georgetown and then obviously Cam Fletcher over at Kentucky I mean and then Nick Kern is a you know a guy who's going to Virginia Commonwealth VCU and then like you said Gilbert is a UNLV guy just a, just a really really impressive group they had over at Vashon no surprise there class 4 district 5 we have John Burroughs MICDS Priory Westminster Whitfield and then Normandy as the only public school Normandy who uh, who has the area's Maybe most underrated player or at least the player that that a lot of basketball fans haven't had the opportunity to see in Omar Henry. Everybody I talk to who's seen him just thinks he is a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Whether or not he actually gets the opportunity to showcase that talent to an audience um, will obviously depend on the coronavirus. And I know Normandy has halted basketball activities here recently, so we'll have to wait and see when they start playing ball again. Um, But they got a new coach in Kerry Lewis who had been at Hazelwood West in U-City uh, as a head coach prior. He was also on St. Louis U-High's uh, staff with uh, Coach Erwin Claggett. But uh, MICDS is, and, and Priory and Westminster are three of the best small schools in the area. Uh, Westminster and MICDS made our top ten preseason small school rankings. With Priory, if we were doing a top 12, would have been included, especially with their big man Harrison Willemson returning. So thoughts on, on this this Class 4 District 5 grouping?
1: I think it's one of the deepest districts around. I really do. Um, You mentioned MICDS being in your top 10. We didn't end up putting ours out this year, but had we, MICDS would have been in it. Westminster would have been right there on the bubble. Whitfield is a young team that I think has a chance to compete in that district this year. They played MICDS tough already. Uh, Priory, like you mentioned, I think that district is as deep as any in the area, and for that district to be in Class 4 is impressive. It's pretty
0: amazing,
1: because Westminster and Priory played for district final last year,
0: actually, now that I think about it. I was at that game. <laughs> they all kind of run together over the years, man. <laughs> they sure do. So, Moving on to Class 3, District 4, we have DeBerg, Carnahan, Jefferson, Live for Life, McKinley, St. Pius X out of Festus and Valley Park. I know Coach Ladon Champagne at Deberg is pretty excited about the group he's had, he's got. He's been with these dudes now five seasons, so they're playing. Um, these are all his guys, the guys that he's brought up in his tenure. So I know he's really excited about what they can do. Um, Class three, District five is Brentwood, O'Fallon Christian, Duchenne Lutheran North, Berkeley, and Trinity, which, just I mean, Brentwood won its first district in a long time last season. Lutheran North won a district last year, and lost to O'Fallon Christian in a sectional, a, a highly entertaining sectional game. Trinity lost to Lutheran North in the district final, but had made a quarterfinal in Class 3 the year before when they lost to Vachon. And then you throw in Berkeley um, and Deschenes. Deschenes has been traditionally pretty good. I, that That's a hell of a district
1: right there for Class 5, or Class 3. Another deep district. I mean, like you said, for Class 3, that's as good as they get Christian is one of the better teams around. I think when you go district by district uh, in Class 3, you got to look at uh, O'Fallon Christian as a team that can compete for a state championship in Class 3. Um, unfortunately for them, Greenwood uh, down in Springfield got moved up to Class 3 with superstar Aminu Muhammad, so they've got to be the, the true favorite there. But O'Fallon Christian, as good as anybody in Class 3, Duchenne, always solid. And as you mentioned, Lutheran North, reigning district champion.
0: It's, a, it's tough. And then you throw in a Trinity team that we don't know what they're going to have because they've only played one game. And uh, But Coach McCall generally has those guys playing pretty good at the end of the season. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Class 2, District 4 is the only one with any any local teams. That includes Crossroads, Crystal City, Principia, and then Northwest in the city. Uh, not a whole lot to mind from that group there. So uh, so your thoughts on six classes, AJ, because this is this has been a bit of a hot topic here uh, for basketball heads in Missouri. I mean, a lot of people like to look across the river at Illinois and go, they've only got four. Why do we need six? but I, I'm curious what you think about six classes in
1: uh, in Missouri. It thins things out a little too much for my liking. Um, I thought, if you go year by year, there were times where some of the lower classes were already a little bit thin. Actually, I thought class five last year was pretty thin. Um, when you get beyond CBC, Shamanon, Desmet, and then uh, Melville last year, I, you know I thought there was four teams in class five that were just clearly better than everyone else. and um, it, we've had that in years past in class four and class three. And when you stretch that out to six, I think you're only going to accentuate that problem. Do I think it's the end of the world? No, I think I think it's a great thing. Um, more teams are going to have a chance to win championships now, and at the end of the day, that's what high school sports are about. It's about getting these kids uh, once in a lifetime experiences to compete for championships, and um, so no, it's not my favorite thing. I would love to see him um, be five classes, maybe even four. But uh, six isn't going to kill anybody.
0: I don't know. I'm. I, I don't understand why we need six classes for football and six classes for basketball. And, and it just. I'm with the the watered down crowd. I'm not real, real big on it. But then there's a lot of things I would change. I mean, more than classifications. I, I the the Ledoux soccer coach and I have gone back and forth about this. Why don't you seed the region instead of just doing little like districts? So when if you seed the region, you would take you know, two or two or four district tournaments, and instead of, you know, four or four teamers, you'd have one region, 16-team region, and then you'd seed it. So you'd have CBC as the one seed, dismet as the two seed. And then, then when they would play, it would be to go to the final four. Like, I think that would be a, a better way to kind of break up some of these these gluts you see where you have a CBC Chaminade and a Webster in a district where you have, you know, this, these these small pockets of very powerful teams playing one another um, well before they have to. But then again, this isn't anything new. North County used to be an absolute war to get out of when Hazelwood Central, Hazelwood East, McClure, McClure North were all really good. I I mean, there was a stretch there where Hazelwood Central might have been the third best team in the state, but just couldn't get past McClure North, who was the best team in the state. It's, It's always kind of just been the way it is because that's how we do it, and it's unfortunate that we for all the different things that have been tried between the championship factor, between adding classifications that the the association and its membership hasn't looked at, at some other aspects of, of how to make it a little um, spread it out a little more, make it a little more fair. Not that life is fair as we're finding out here in 2020, but finding, you know, but, but make it a little more fair to, to kind of increase the opportunity to have your best teams at state. But, you know, The State Association has routinely said its goal is not to get the best teams there. It's to have regional representation, which take that for what it is. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the best way to decide a state championship, but they didn't ask me, so
1: here we are. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because it really does feel like they're just diverting from the real problem here. Um, the, the problem was never the number of classes. It's like you said, we need a fairer way to seed these teams so that, for instance, the two best class six schools in the state or in the in the city this year rather chaminade and cbc aren't playing head-to-head in districts it's it's silly to have it that way and it's unfortunate that we can't think of a better solution but like you said when the guys in charge are not trying to fix the problem it's probably not going to get fixed
0: well i mean they like to to lean on well this is what the members voted in which i you know I, I get it but but it seems like a lot of times they play both sides of that coin like, this is what this is what our our membership told us to do but then when the membership asks them to do other things it's like well we, we can't do that so I don't know like you said it's not the end of the world but it, it is unfortunate to, to wake up on, on on what a lot of coaches told me today is Christmas morning and then CBC shamanade Webster Ledoux, and Kirkwood all
1: look at their their draw and go what the hell <laughs> I uh, I can't imagine being a coach in a district like that. and uh, You might as well start preparing now because there's a tough road ahead. I, I don't know what you do in that situation. So
0: AJ Blankenship, thank you so much for joining us here on the STL High School Sports Basketball Show. We appreciate it, man. Dave,
1: man, it's always a pleasure. Hope to see you in a gym here soon. That would be great.
0: Thanks again to AJ Blankenship for joining the show. You can check him out at 314 hoops. On Twitter.com. Up next, Greg Upton's going to talk about the Francis Howell Central, Francis Howell North game he caught Friday night after being rescheduled not once, but twice. I'm now joined by Greg Upton, who had an adventure Friday night trying (laughs) to find a ball game to get to. He was originally set to go to uh, O'Fallon Christian and CBC, but O'Fallon Christian ended up going on quarantine Friday morning. Then uh, the the replacement game was uh, MICDS at St. Louis U High. But after talking with Coach Erwin Claggett, the U-High was unable to play because they didn't get their test results back. And city schools, in order to play ball this winter, have to test every two weeks. That's part of the city's COVID protocols. And because mm-hmm. they didn't get their tests back, St. Louis U-High did not play the game tonight against MICDS. But the third
2: time was a charm, Greg. Where'd you yes. end up? Ended up at uh, Francis Howell Central at Francis Howell North. Um and yeah, you're right. Third time was the charm. If that one, uh, as I told you before, we, we started recording, if that one would have uh, not happened, then I just would have gave up on today. I would have just said, Let's, "I'm just going to stay home." So, but thankfully, uh, thankfully that one, <clears throat> that one worked out. Um, and it was a close ball game for a little while. Um, Howell North, who uh, went one and 23 last season, but that one win came against Howell Central. Uh, Late in the season, uh, they went one and one against them last year. Central did beat them uh, in the subsequent matchup, but um, so Central had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. The guys who were back from that TIG game last season, I'm sure, obviously, didn't like seeing that their one win came against them. So, um, Howell North already one and one on the season, though. They had a big win last night against Ford Zumal West, so off to a, a good start for Coach Mark Wright. And they were looking to double their output from last season, but uh, just wasn't quite meant to be tonight as Howell Central was playing its season opener after uh, having it delayed a little bit by being in quarantine uh, over the last couple weeks. So they weren't able to play up until tonight, but they come away with a 48-27 win uh, over Howell North in a ball game that was close, as I said, for a little while. Howell North actually led 15-9 after one quarter. But Howell Central held them to just 12 points combined for the rest of the game over the final three quarters. That's rough. So, who, who was doing the big things for Howell Central tonight? So Howell Central had a uh, a new addition to the lineup, uh, senior six foot five um, forward by the name of C.J. Woodard, uh, who actually has uh, played the last couple years for Fort Zumwalt East. Uh, actually averaged uh, 9.9 points for the Lions last season. Um, Had limited duty as a sophomore, but did play a little bit on varsity. Um, Last season for the Lions, uh, he really kind of ramped it up as the season went along. In his second-to-last game, he dropped 24 on Timberland. He also had a couple of 18-point outputs last season, so he was uh, starting to come into his own for the Lions last season. He transferred out um, right at the end of January, right when the uh fourth quarter was about to start so he ended up uh moving and going to House Central and so had a very nice debut tonight for the uh, Spartans in that contest and uh so hopefully big things for him to come this season uh the uh first game is any, any indication uh should be a pretty decent senior season for him in, in a new environment and uh Miles Estrada who's been a mainstay on the varsity for the last couple years at least for House Central actually Uh, three years I think he's he's uh, averaged double figures his first three years at Hall Central he dropped in 17 tonight including a couple threes so with those two that's pretty good one-two punch there for coach Brian Sissel so um, a lot of nights he'll be able to hopefully ride those two guys and and uh, you know maybe pump out some victories like he was able to do tonight and get a good defensive effort which is what they got tonight against the Knights as well so nineteen for Woodard, seventeen for Estrada, and uh, yeah. twenty-four total for Howell North. Yeah, uh, twenty twenty-seven. Excuse me, 27, forty-eight 27. to twenty-seven. Yeah, so it was a it was a fifteen to nine game after one quarter, and Howell North had a good first quarter. They actually they got the opening tip, went down, got a layup six seconds into the game. Hmm. Say, okay, it's looking pretty good, and and they never trailed in the first quarter. They were tied a couple times, but they were never trailed, and they were up fifteen to nine after one. You think, okay, well. It was a different-looking Howell North team. Maybe you know things about to turn around for them, but man, they just couldn't get anything in that second quarter. They would had some bad shot selection. They turned the ball over a bunch of times. um, You know, either with charges or with you know just throwing the ball away. uh, Just get you know just having it outright stolen from them. Um, And Howell Central ended up scoring the first seventeen points of the uh, second quarter, and they actually outscored them nineteen to two in the quarter, and Howell North's only two points in that quarter came at the free throw line in the final 20 seconds, so um, that was pretty much the difference in the game and made it turn around, and, and from that point on, Howell North really struggled, you know, from the floor, they only scored 10 points in the uh, second half, and eight of those came from one guy, Ryan Murdoch, who's only a sophomore, so that's, that's good news for the Knights, is he's had a couple of 10-point games already this season, so hopefully, uh, you know, he can keep that up and and give them some life offensively. Um, Christian Brown has had a pretty good start to the season for the, uh, for the Knights. And, and he actually, he was the one who scored the the first bucket of the game and he had seven points in the first quarter looking good, but he was held scoreless uh, in the final three quarters. And he's one of their leading scorers back from last season. So that was kind of a key to the ball game too, for the Spartans to kind of shut him down and not let him get going offensively. And, you know, Murdoch was the only one who was able to consistently hit some shots. he, you know, he would have almost had all the output of the second second half. He had eight of the ten in the second half. Uh, they got a late bucket from another player, but he was almost their entire offense in the in the second half.
0: So, what was Hal Central talking about after the game about just getting a play? Because I've heard a lot of a lot of coaches have said early in the season, especially like the like getting games under your belt. One is yeah. the challenge with. With the current right. situation we're all living yeah. in, but Howell North playing a couple of games, it would have. Right. I think you saw that early. It was a bit of an right. advantage. What was Howell Center well, talking
2: about? And that's exactly what Brian Sissel was talking about. He said, he said it was kind of nerve wracking to see how we were going to come out in this game because, you know, you, see, you know they had the big win last night. And they've played a couple games, and he said we don't, you know, we uh, we don't know. We haven't had a full squad of practice. That's then the other thing he told me was um, another of their top players. He called them the second or third best player. Uh, went home today in the second period so he was unavailable tonight. He has another starter who's injured so he hasn't had a full squad at all for practice or games this season. So he was curious to see how that was going to shake out in the first uh quarter and I think yeah I think you saw that there they were a little rusty early on. They couldn't get a lot going north had the momentum a little bit from, you know, having played a couple games. I think you saw that but once the Spartans were finally able to get their uh you know, feed under them a little bit and, and kind of get that flow going. And then they were able to dominate after that. But, yeah, they were definitely uh, concerned uh, going in, you know, being the season opener and having the layoff. They weren't sure how it was going to shake out, and I think you saw that at the beginning of the game. And what what
0: did Howell North think about its performance? I'd imagine that, that that's a group that was kind of shaking its head a
2: little bit. Yeah, actually, uh, actually didn't get a chance to catch up with Mark right after the game uh, when I was doing interviews. He had walked by, and I was hoping to, to grab him, but I guess he he ran he ran out, uh, you know, and left. when I was getting all the interviews with the other team, but I would I would imagine, you know, that he's that he's pleased with the way the, the season started for them. You know, getting that win against Zuma West last night, at least getting a win under your belt early cuz that win that they got last year came i believe late January maybe i know it was after the new year before they got that first win last year so to get that i'm sure was a big relief for them and you know i'm sure they were they were very happy with the start and even uh you know even getting outscored 19 to 2 in the second half um they had a 6 point lead after the first quarter so they were still only down 28 to 17 so even though they were getting you know bombarded there a little bit you know uh, because I remember one time during the run, I'm like, oh, it's a 12 nothing run, but they were only down six, mm. you know, because they, they had built that lead a little bit. So even at halftime, you know, you're still within shouting distance at 11, but, man, just couldn't get anything going offensively, you know, uh, couldn't get any of the shots to fall. So I'm sure that's something they're going to work on, and I'm sure I, I was sitting behind their bench so I could kind of hear him during the timeouts. He goes, we got to take care of the basketball, and that's that's very true. Um, you know, they, they've they got to be able to take care of that that basketball, and, you know he knows from where he came because he was uh he was on those great Parkway South teams from a few years ago that had Ben Honer mm-hmm. and all those guys when they uh, took their deep runs. So he knows that uh, obviously taking care of the basketball and valuing it uh, is something you got to do to to be able to win ball games.
0: Well said, Greg. It's wonderful to have you back on the show, man. Thanks so much. Take care. All
2: right. You. Yep. No problem. Thank you very much.
0: And that's going to do it for our first episode of the basketball season. Thanks so much to A.J. Blankenship of 314 Hoops and Greg Upton for joining the show. We'll be back next week, hopefully talking about a lot more games, as with everything nowadays, COVID notwithstanding. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.